What's up, tea amigos? Welcome to Fresh Steeps, uncovering the health benefits of tea for your active life. My name is Vince Lapalusa, and I am your host and guide on this tea journey. I'm a chemical engineering athlete who has been obsessed with the health benefits of herbs and tea for over 10 years now, and I'm honored to lead this journey of understanding tea better. Today, I hosted Dr. Paria Vaziri. Paria is a doctor of naturopathy whose aim is to assist women in taking control of their health through healthy lifestyles rather than quick fixes. If you're someone who feels bloated, fatigued, have brain fog, or anything else you think just may be off, then tune into our conversation to hear Dr. Paria discuss her four areas of focus and how tea and herbs have helped her manage each. So grab your tea, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Maria, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm so good. It's always a good day when uh, I get to record one of these and, you know, it's beautiful out. I'm here in the Midwest, nice, uh, sunny and snowy day. So awesome. can't complain. And you're in the West Coast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in San Diego and, you know, weirdly enough, it's not sunny here and it's mm. not nice here right now, <laughs> but it's nice here in the Midwest it is. What part of the Midwest are you from? Was well, so I live in Minnesota now. I'm actually currently at my parents' place in Wisconsin, though. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah, very nice. So, um, first question for you is, what are you drinking right now? <laughs> I am drinking a coffee. I have a cold brew that I make with um, some almonds milk. I use the. I'm trying to remember the brand. It's really good. I think it's called Three Trees. Super awesome almonds milk if you are into plant-based milks. And then I yeah. put in some maple syrup and collagen to give it a little edge, a little health. That sounds nice. Actually, I, I you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a tea guy <laughs> and I, I drink tea on the daily, but I do get cravings for coffee sometimes at the most like inconvenient times too, like late at night. I'll like sometimes oh. have a craving for coffee yeah. and um yeah, so lattes, I, I'll occasionally dabble like a mocha or a latte, just if it's like a dessert to me. And yeah. it's it's super delicious. That that sounds nice. And I do like the plant-based um milks. I prefer coconut milk recently. Mm. That's been really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like coconut milk. It's a it's almost a little too like fatty for me in a way because mm. I have it, but then after like after a few sips, it becomes a little overwhelming. So yeah. I like coconut milk mostly in baking, like, you know, when I'm using alternatives for milk and some sort of baked good, but right. in coffee, I'm an almond milk type of girl. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's just dig into it. Let's dig into you a little bit. Um, you are a doctor in naturopathy. Is that how you pronounce yes. it? Right. Yeah. Naturopathy doctor. Correct. Naturopathy doctor. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so give me a little background. What got you into this, into this field? Yeah, of course. It's. I feel like most people that end up in this field always have some sort of health journey they've been on. So similar to that, I went on my own health journey. Um, when I, I went to college at Virginia Tech, I studied biology and I was very much on the path of pursuing pharmacy and I wanted to be a pharmacist. So I graduated and the year that I graduated, my senior year, I started having a lot of health issues and it really was just a it was multiple things that happened all at once. It was my lifestyle catching up to me because I wasn't the healthiest individual. You know, I ate out a lot. I ate like 
the campus food. Um, I didn't really cook at home. I just had a typical college life. You know, we would Mm -hmm. stay up all night studying. Biology was a tough subject, so I'd be up all night. And then on the weekends, I'd be like celebrating end of exams with friends, drinking, and then just not taking care of my body. And then all this compounded when my final year, I moved into this apartment that I now realize it was moldy because I just have kept having chronic sinus infections. And so I went on several rounds of like heavy hitting antibiotics. It wasn't clearing up, damaged my gut, like incredibly so. Um, at the same time, I developed really bad anxiety and I was having panic attacks like multiple times a day. I came off birth control because I was just so sensitive to everything. I was like scared to take anything because of my anxiety. And then that (laughs) added hormonal problems to the mix. So it was just like all these things that just went profoundly wrong with my health all at once. And then I graduated and I decided I needed to take a gap year to kind of get my health back on track. And, you know, I didn't have the capacity in school to study for PCATs and do any of that. So took the gap year. I worked at a pharmacy and I took the PCAT and was doing all the applications and I accepted going to pharmacy school. And then, but it was funny because during this entire year that I was working at a pharmacy and I was actively pursuing this route, I was extremely frustrated with the service I was receiving by my doctors because nothing was working for my health. And I had no idea where to start. I just felt so awful in my health and in my body. So I just started doing lifestyle changes and that made a profound difference. And then I learned about herbs and I started using some of those and that made a huge difference. So it was just like this complete parallel of, okay, my career is going one way, but like my beliefs in my health are going in the complete opposite way. Um, So then like a month before I was supposed to start pharmacy school, I ended up dropping out and just completely redirecting my life to naturopathic medicine instead because- you know, this was really what had healed me. And I found the most benefit and success by doing natural medicine as opposed to the conventional route. And so, you know, I figured why not spread this knowledge? Because if it worked for me, I'm sure it's going to work for others. Yeah, no, definitely. You're not alone in that. And it's, I think there's a lot there. It's just the one kudos to you for following your heart rather than your mind maybe, or maybe external forces, whatever was brought you to the (laughs) pharmacy path. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of did the internal look of like, is this me? Like kudos to you for actually stepping out into that. Cause I'm sure you're right there. You're like right about to start. And I'm sure that was scary (laughs) to just be like, actually never mind. (laughs) So, so good for you for that. But that's, yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. Cause I've talked with other, other women, um, I've talked with like my girlfriend and just people and it, it's, I think people are awakening to it mm-hmm. and understanding now it's like, oh yeah, some of these thing practices are messed up and just like not taught properly. And it's no, no problem. It's like, it's not the doctor's fault. It's not like, it's just kind of how things have been brought up and now we're trying to sift through the crap. <laughs> and that's, so it's good for you for taking that step and moving towards that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so from looking at you and and like your work, it sounds like you have four areas of focus, correct? Yes. Do you want to go through those? Yeah. So I really focus in on first and foremost, women's health, specifically natural hormone balancing, because I could talk for hours about how mismanaged women's health is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then naturally with that came three other areas that 
are just, they go hand in hand and that's gut health. That's a huge one. Stress management and how, you know, our HPA access plays a profound role in our health and then environmental toxins as well, because there's a lot of pollutants out there that really affect our hormonal system. And I feel like that is one area of medicine where a lot of people don't have that knowledge. Yeah. No, that's that's beautiful. So let's dig into into those a little bit. The I guess starting with, and we're not gonna take the whole time on the hormonal health, even though, like you said, you could probably talk for multiple hours on that. <laughs> so let's kind of break it down into, I guess, if you want to just do basics and then also how herbalism and tea has helped with this hormonal health. Yeah, of course. So a lot of the work that I do right now with women is women in their 20s and 30s, even 40s who are coming off of birth control and they've had a history of horrible cycles and they're just really looking to fix. You know, they want to they don't want to use any band-aid solutions. They want to get down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on and they just want to have balanced hormones. Yeah. And so what we do is we run extensive lab testing because it's so important to know what exactly is the hormonal balance imbalance that's happening. Is it estrogen? Is it progesterone? Is it testosterone? And from there using really targeted supplements and herbs to really shift these patterns. And then at the base of all that is of course lifestyle because the way that we're eating and the way that we're sleeping and hydrating and all those things make such a big profound difference in hormonal health. But Mm -hmm. the herbs are really kind of there as a guiding point in, okay, we know that for example, let's say someone has high testosterone. That's, that's a good one. Um, and that comes up on their labs and we're trying to make those shifts and we're doing all the lifestyle stuff. I like to bring in specific herbs like Reishi is a great one. Nettle's a great one. And these help shift us away from those androgenic pathways. And so I usually start with a higher dose capsule. And then over time, once things are in a solid place, then we transition into the teas and like the daily practices of, okay, mm. this is part of your routine now. Like in the morning, I want you to drink this or at night, I want you to drink this. So I found that teas fit in with the lifestyle really, really well. Mm-hmm. But then in the initial beginning phases, I almost always use capsules or tinctures so we can get like those higher dosages in. Unless someone really loves tea and they're committed to drinking like three or four cups a day. And then I'm like, okay, we can use teas Mm -hmm. then. (laughs) Like me. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) so that's actually, I did, I did have this question um, Mm -hmm. kind of in, in the chamber with the testosterone because you've posted about testosterone And now you said you mostly work with women between like 20 to 40, but as a man, like, again, Mm -hmm. like I said, I love tea. I drink tea every day. And it's funny that you bring up even reishi. I've seen posts about like reishi, zinc, and green tea, things that I drink pretty much daily or take daily. I actually take a immune supplement that has zinc and reishi. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that does to men's testosterone? Yeah. So all these herbs, uh, the beauty about a lot of these herbs is, is that they're really rebalancing. So they're not necessarily lowering your testosterone. Mm-hmm. So for example, what, what's really happening, and I, I can't speak to this so much on men's health as much as I can for women's health. Yeah. But when we're looking at the way testosterone is broken down in the body, there's this one enzyme called uh, 5-alpha reductase. And what that does is it shifts your testosterone down the more potent pathway. So then we start to see those really like androgen dominant symptoms. Like for women, that would be 
hair loss on the scalp or hair growth in unwanted places or acne. So what these herbs really do is they rebalance and shift away from that five alpha dominant form into a more gentle five beta form. So it's not so much lowering the testosterone, it's just Mm -hmm. rebalancing things so that it's at a better hormonal harmony. I'm not entirely sure how it works in men's health, but I do not think it has the same impact where it's lowering testosterone. You know, men and women respond differently to these herbs and we have different hormonal balances and the way things are broken down or, and are just even our, you know, daily cycles of hormones are different from one another. Yeah. And I, cause I remember taking some time and looking up some research papers on it and it's, it's very challenging because you see, I've read a lot of things about, and a lot of it is done in mice. So how that transfers to (laughs) humans is, yeah, I mean, is questionable, but a lot of the the studies I was reading about like green tea and testosterone for men was in like male mice and actually it boosted like, like their um, semen production and stuff like that, which should kind of link with testosterone. You probably is increased But then I hear stuff like this and it's like, hmm, I, and you're not the first person, you're not the only person I've heard this from. And I've been like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's, it's challenging because there's a lot out there. So I, I always, but at the end of the day too, the way like I feel, like I said, I take this stuff mm-hmm. pretty much daily. I, I work with it daily and I feel great. <laughs> like I don't feel like my testosterone's low at all. I feel like I'm not noticing hair loss or anything in that regards. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I would notice if my testosterone's dropping. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and you know, a lot of these are, again, herbs react differently in different physiologies and mm-hmm. they are really beneficial for men's health, like specifically looking at reishi and green tea too, because they're very cancer protective. Exactly. So again, these herbs, one herb that I like to bring up in particular, or I guess it's not so much an herb, but more of like a class of foods and herbs are phytoestrogens, because that's a great example of something doing two opposite things. So for women that have too much estrogen, it helps lower that estrogen. But for women that have too little estrogen, it helps bring up that estrogen. So again, it's just showcasing that herbs really work in harmony with the human body. And for the most part, you know, there's, it's not going to like, you know, again, that green tea is not going to lower your testosterone drastically. It's not going to do that by any means. These herbs are a lot smarter than we think they are. And they don't work in the same way as, for example, a pharmaceutical that's like, okay, mm. this very much so does this action and only this action. Mm-hmm. Herbs work in a variety of different ways. Yeah. I feel like the pharmaceuticals, they target a mechanism like mm-hmm. specifically, and then they'll attack that or not attack it, maybe help it, like expose it. Whereas, like you said, the herbs, there's a lot of compounds in tea that work together. Like people say tea actually has more caffeine than coffee. People don't <laughs> know that. But it like green tea, actually the plant has more coffee or more caffeine than coffee. But because of the other compounds in tea, like the L-theanine that you have or the GABA or EGCG, it balances it out in a way that you don't feel a spike and then a drop like that a lot of people experience. So exactly to your point, it's amazing how you go to the herbs and they work with you. It's like, yeah, it's meant to be. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it really is. Yeah. So you ta- you mentioned a little bit about the progesterone and the estrogen dominance. Um, if someone, can you just give like a very brief, quick way of, I guess, if you were estrogenically 
dominant. I don't know if that's proper way of saying it. Um, but if you were like, how would you know, like, are there signs of this stuff? Like if you're like have more yeah. progesterone. Okay. Yeah. Can you oh, yeah. Into that? Oh, yeah. Women know when something's okay. wrong, especially with estrogen and progesterone. And the thing is like the symptoms that you experience for estrogen dominance and low progesterone are, can be very similar to one another. Mm. And nine times out of 10, if you know, both are happening, at least from what I've seen in practice. And so mm-hmm. when we're looking at this picture of someone who has higher estrogen and potentially low progesterone, we start to see that classic PMS picture of a week or maybe a few days before your cycle, you're getting moodiness, you're getting irritability, you're getting breast tenderness, you might be experiencing acne or bloating, and then your actual cycle is painful. It's not you know, an easy thing that comes and goes. And so all of this is pointing towards that, you know, imbalance going on. But then like specifically, if we want to like really get down into the nitty gritty with low progesterone, you might often see a lighter cycle or a lighter bleed, or you might see like mid cycle spotting, Mm. but that's not happening in every woman. So, and the way, the most important thing to remember too is, you know, you can have normal baseline levels of estrogen, mm-hmm. but the way that your body is metabolizing it may be causing the issues. It might not be how much starting material you have. It's a matter of you're not able to clear it properly. So that's causing high estrogen symptoms. So mm-hmm. testing is always important. But if you feel like there's something wrong, you know, that's a clear sign. You know, your, horm- your periods shouldn't be like this torturous thing that's happening every month. Yeah, which is not the narrative I think we all grew up with. <laughs> That's yeah. Um, with the with the testing, real quick, is that just blood work? So I run a combination of blood work and urine metabolites. So we do blood work for specific hormones. We'll do it at day three to five of the cycle, looking at some of the follicular phase hormones. And then we might run some later on in the luteal phase, but really in the luteal phase leading up to the period, I run the urine metabolites so we can see exactly how hormones are being broken out of broken down out of the body. Um, usually for most women, we focus on luteal phase, but if I have someone who's also working on fertility or perhaps there's a concern for PCOS, we'll throw in those day three to five hormones as well. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And Mm -hmm. so you do this blood work, you kind of get down to what the hormonal imbalances are in, in a woman. Um, and then you start to make these changes. Like you said, you'll maybe target with like first an herbal like tincture, Mm -hmm. right? Something that's like really punks packs a punch, like just really right at you. And then do you start to move to those other three areas, like the gut health, the adrenal fatigue and like the just general wellness? Is that kind of when you start to move past that? Yeah. So it's so variable for each person. You know, if someone, if someone has really profound gut issues, we first work on the gut because Mm. the gut is the final phase of clearing out your hormones, especially estrogen. So if you're having really bad PMS, but you also have really bad gut health, first Mm -hmm. I tell you, the gut health because we got to make sure you're getting stuff out of your system. And then naturally you'll see hormonal changes occur with that, but then we'll go back in with a targeted approach for the hormones. Um, stress management is something that I do with almost every single person and optimizing the HPA yeah. access because it's hard to not have HPA access dysregulation in today's society. That's so, you know, focused on work and producti- productivity and people aren't sleeping well and people aren't, you know, really taking care of themselves because there's not a capacity to. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course, like 
the environmental toxins, all the lifestyle pieces are always an ongoing thing. Yeah. So, okay. So instead you don't just, you do the blood work and you kind of figure out from there, which of these areas of focus is most prevalent that needs to be addressed. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. That, make, that makes sense. Um, and that's really how it should be is because like yeah. if something's the most, it's like the, the example I've heard of like, if, a house is on fire in a neighborhood. You're not just going to be tossing water on the other houses so that they don't eventually get burned. It's like, no, you target the house that's on fire so that it doesn't spread. Exactly. So yeah, that make, yeah, yeah. Sorry, were you going to say something? I was going to say, and with hormones too, there is almost always a root cause. You know, your hormones aren't just going out of whack for no reason. Yeah. And, you know, we do the support that we need to reshift those things, but we got to figure out what was causing the issue in the first place. And most times it's the gut, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's okay. other things that definitely factor into, but from my practice, I've seen a lot of people having the gut be that first issue that arises. Yeah. Okay. So how do you, one, as an individual, just kind of focusing on their body, listening to this right now, and they think they might have some gut issues, What? how can they like really know without getting any blood work or testing done, just be like, is my gut messed up? Like, is there stuff that is prevalent? Yeah. Um, The first question is, are you having a daily bowel movement? A lot of people aren't, and a lot of people think it's normal to not have. I made a post once about having daily healthy bowel movements, and I got so many comments on it, people saying, you're having daily bowel movements? Like, that's a thing? And I'm like, yes, we all should. We should all strive for like one to three bowel movements a day. Like, that is normal, and that's a sign of a healthy gut. You want to be having those bowel movements. If you're skipping days, if you're having like, two a week or something, that is a big sign that something's wrong. Yeah. Um, you also shouldn't be feeling bloated all day. You know, it's normal to feel bloated if you have something that's like out of whack with what you're usually eating. Like for example, the holidays, we're eating a little bit more like sugar and, you know, just indulging a bit more. And if we're feeling a little bit more bloated, that's normal. But if you're mm-hmm. someone who from the moment you wake up, as you eat throughout the day, you're getting persi- like persistently more and more bloated, that's a sign something's going on. Bloating isn't normal. Abdominal pain isn't normal. Like all these things that we normalize are just not normal. Heartburn's yeah. not. So yeah. anything really, if you really have any type of reaction while you're eating or throughout the day, that's a sign that something's going on. That's hmm. yeah, good. It's good to know. And I think like you mentioned about the antibiotics too, those are those are really rough. And I, I can speak to it because I'm actually currently – as you, you can see, unfortunately, the listeners, they can't see. This is a pick line that I have right now for antibiotics. So I deliver intravenous uh, antibiotics every single day because of uh, an infection I had in a, in a surgical um, center. And it was, I was very, very hesitant because of everything we're talking about right now about my gut health. Now, I was convinced by many people I talked to that this was the best route to go. I'm still, they still debate it, even though it's currently happening. Um, And it was mostly because of my fear of the, of my gut health, but I decided to take my gut health extremely seriously in this, this like five weeks that I'm, I have this thing. It's like something that I'm going to be, I've been focusing on every single day, getting those like fermented foods. I mean, what, what, for people who want to know a little bit about about their gut health, what would you recommend? Yeah. 
So, you know, great move with the fermented foods. That's really important. Also, if it makes you feel better, I don't think the intravenous route has as profound of an impact on the gut as taking oral antibiotics. That does make me feel better. There you go. (laughs) I hope that does. Yeah. You know, antibiotics, of course, are necessary sometimes. You know, there's no way around it. We need them sometimes because for certain situations. And when you do take antibiotics, so some of what I do is, you know, make sure you're taking probiotics or eating fermented foods because what antibiotics are doing is they're not only wiping out the bad guys, they're wiping out a lot of flora. And what this does is that it opens up the door for there to be overgrowth of different types of bacteria that maybe we don't want overgrowth of. Some big ones are the ones that hang out in our gut at lower degrees and they're fine at those low degrees but they can go into overgrowth if that vulnerability is opened up and that's where we see a lot of issues. So some of those bacteria include certain classes of strep or staph, which I know sounds crazy, but we do have them in certain degrees in our gut and it's normal to have it, but Mm. not when they go into overgrowth. Another big one that goes into overgrowth is candida. I see that a lot with heavy antibiotic use. So that one's a pretty gnarly overgrowth to have and, you know, it takes a while to kick it, but you know, if you're taking care of your gut while you're on antibiotics, you know, you shouldn't be worried about that. So again, going back to those probiotics and fermented foods, getting in a lot of your fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, E, and D, because it's great for the gut lining. Your omega-3s are amazing for the gut lining. Zinc is another one. So just really trying to both support the microbiome as well as make sure no damage is done to your gut lining. Yeah. What are your favorite herbs and like teas that you use for your gut health? Yeah. Fennel is my number one favorite. I love fennel, especially after meals. If I eat something that makes me feel a little bit more bloated, fennel is my go-to. It almost always helps, you know, reduce any gassiness or bloating I might be feeling. So fennel is a great one. Some other ones that are amazing are slippery elm, If you Mm. have any gut lining work you need to be doing, peppermint's a great one, ginger, turmeric, really, there's a ton of them out there. (laughs) There's another one I love. I could just go on and on, but there's so many herbs for different things you could do for gut health. But number one for me is fennel. Yeah. And again, this is going back to what we said earlier about like the beauty of herbs. It's like you mentioned turmeric, for example. Mm -hmm. Great for your gut health, like awesome, but it's also an amazing anti-inflammatory. And it can just do wonders like these don't just hit, they don't just fit one purpose, like maybe a pharmaceutical does. And like you said, there's, there is definitely a place for a pharmaceutical. If you're having like something that's completely outrageously going, going on, mm-hmm. maybe you want something that just targets that one thing and brings it back to something that you can handle. And then you start introducing the herbs to now keep it under control. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating because all of these herbs that you're mentioning, I mean, and they're so good. They taste Mm -hmm. so good and they're fun to, to blend and like make, I, again, for me, obviously the teas is just, I make tea every single day. And so it's fun to think about, like, I wake up maybe a little brain fog. It's like, okay, well, let's think maybe some go-to cola with some mint and green tea sounds good today or something to relieve that brain fog or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. It's again, we could probably talk about these herbs all day. (laughs) And I think one, another really beautiful thing about herbs is that, you know, they have an affinity for different people. So for example, I might use one herb with one person for a reason. 
And then with someone else, I might try that and it won't have the same effect. But mm. for example, like let's say an adaptogenic herb, but then I'll use a different adaptogen and that one works beautifully with their system. So like, you know, herbs aren't a one size fits all. And I feel like different people react differently to herbs and you, everyone has their favorites. So like, again, going back to that fennel, that works amazing for my gut health, but someone else might find more benefit from that peppermint or that mm-hmm. Or something. So it's awesome how that works too. It's really like, I don't know, herbs are just the way they work with our bodies is so interesting. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So moving on to that, to the adrenal fatigue, um, mm-hmm. what's that look like in a person? How do, when you, what do you like feel when you have adrenal fatigue? Yeah. So this is, adrenal fatigue is a long process. And I call it HPA axis re- dysregulation because. You know, the adrenal. So I'm going to start from the beginning with how that works. Basically, what's going on is our adrenals produce one of the hormones they produce is called cortisol. And cortisol actually is very, very important for our health. And what cortisol does is during the morning time when we first wake up, up until about 12 p.m., that it's the highest that it's supposed to be during the day because that's when we want the most energy. That's when we're the most productive. And it really ties back in with the idea that the sun supports cortisol production. And then in the afternoon, slowly those cortisol levels start to dip low around sunset. They're supposed to go pretty low because that's when melatonin kicks up because Mm -hmm. we're getting the moonlight exposure. It's nighttime. And now our bodies are like, okay, now it's sleep time. So cortisol and melatonin have a really um, particular relationship with one another and they work on a 24 hour cycle. And so what I see happen often is a number of things that causes dysregulation in the relationship between cortisol and melatonin. The first one can be just acute stressors. So let's say something really stressful is happening, whether it's emotionally stressful, physiologically stressful, like for example, a surgery or just something that's causing stress, our body's going to increase our cortisol production, because that's a defensive mechanism. That's what your body's supposed to do. It's healthy. It's normal. We want that response. Let's say that acute stressor turns into a chronic stressor. After a while, your body's going to pump the brakes on how much cortisol you're producing because it recognizes that you don't need this high level. And now it's kind of reverting back and it's putting another protective mechanism in place because this is all a negative feedback loop. So it's like, We've had really high cortisol levels for a while, but now your body's like, okay, this is actually going to hurt, you know, her body. Like we can't keep doing this. So then you start to produce lower levels of cortisol. And that's where people get the idea of adrenal fatigue from, because now you have low cortisol. So then when you're waking up in the morning, you're not producing as much as you're supposed to. You're waking up groggy, you're waking up tired because you're constantly under the stressor. And now this is your new baseline. Hmm. So you have just like this irregular amount of cortisol during the day. And then often what happens is at night, it'll just pick up a little. Or now your curve is kind of flatlined. So that's why you might feel wired and tired at night and you can't fall asleep and you can't get those melatonin levels up high enough to be able to get restful sleep because your cortisol during the daytime is not doing what it's supposed to anymore from this chronic stress. Mm -hmm. Another big thing that really messes up this cortisol and melatonin pattern is blue light exposure especially if it's outside of, you know, hours of the days where there's sunlight. And for a lot of people, we're looking at our phones and our screens after sunset. And what blue light does is it increases our cortisol and decreases our melatonin. So if there's someone that's on your laptop until like 
10 p.m. or you're scrolling on your phone before bed, you know, your body, you're not giving your body the proper chance it needs to go lower in the cortisol and higher in the melatonin. So mm-hmm. you're not getting good sleep. And all this stuff is just like this loop. It just feeds off of one another. And that's how you get that adrenal fatigue picture because, you know, your HPA access is all in whack and it doesn't know what to do anymore with cortisol. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally, it's been the the biggest things I've noticed is when I have extremely intense workouts, like late at night, it messes me. I can't sleep for a long time. And I've learned now from listening to smart, smarter people like you, where it's like, <laughs> oh, I have a cortisol spike like in that. Like, yeah, of course I'm going to like, now I'm like just laying in bed. My mind's racing. I'm like, oh man, like I should be dead tired. Like, why am I like, I'm so amped up and yeah. And then I wake up and I do feel kind of like crap. And I got realized I'm like, mm, I got to figure out how to, to fix my workout schedule to yeah work out more in the morning, like early afternoon. I've realized like 11 AM great workout time for me. Yeah. Cause yeah, you get that spike. I mean, sunlight exposure. I've heard get in the first 30 minutes of waking, get outside, get some sunlight, like as much as possible, even in this cold weather, mm-hmm. um, the blue light sun or blue light glasses. I've, I have a pair of those that I don't religiously wear. I, I should be, I should be better, but I'm not the great, but yeah, there's a lot of amazing things that people can do to help and, and aid um, on top of that, of course, there are herbs and supplements in that sense. So do you have like favorite uh, teas or herbs that you work with for this, the adrenal fatigue? Yeah, definitely. I love the adaptogens for this. And different herbs will work differently depending if you're a high cortisol person or a low cortisol person. Mm. Some of my favorite adaptogens, though, are rhodiola, shisandra, ashwagandha. You know, they all work differently. They're all really beautiful. Um, rhodiola is great for someone who is waking up feeling groggy and tired, mm-hmm. like just feel low, because that'll that's more of a stimulating adaptogen. Ashwagandha is more of just like this overall balanced picture, and it works really beautifully in women's health too. So I love ashwagandha. Shisandra is just an incredible herb. It's one of the teas that I drink just like on its own. I'll just, I'll just have a shisandra tea because I just think it tastes so phenomenal. It's just yeah, you get the five tastes with it. It's five, like, yeah, it's sweet. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it's called the five wait five taste berry or no I think so, yeah the yeah. five flavored berry I yeah. think is is what it is and you literally get like the sour umami sweet savory yeah I forget what the all the five or, or five I want to say bitter and pungent but I'm not sure yeah that that it, sounds it's it tastes differently depending on what's going on with you too you know they say yeah. especially in Chinese medicine they say that. You know, if it tastes a little sweeter one day or a little bit more bitter one day, it's working on different organ systems in your body, depending on what uh, is kind of weak and lacking and needs some support. So it's a fascinating herb. Yeah, I, I like that. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. That's that's good. Um, yeah. And then the ashwagandha. I actually got energy from ashwagandha. Mm-hmm. Like that one for me, a while, every morning I would start with like bone broth and I'd put it mm-hmm. in the bone broth. And made me feel great. Like a lot of people take it at night because it does um, balance out that cortisol. But yeah, for me, it was one of those that I experimented. And actually for a note on ashwagandha, and I'm sure you've experienced this, if you're sensitive to nightshades, yeah. that that's a bad one. <laughs> it, re- it really messes you up. So yeah. it's it's super important, important note with all of this. I mean, you work with someone like Perea, it's like sh- 
yeah, she'll be able to help guide you with that. But if you're going to experiment yourself, do your own research, make sure you understand herbs and like where they come from and how they interact with you. And yeah, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> so <laughs> I can, uh, don't take what I say as advice or yeah, <laughs> all for informational use only. Yeah. Always um, informational. Always get yeah. someone on your team to help guide you because exactly. you, know, you got to find the herb that works best for you and your physiology. Yeah. They're powerful. They're, yeah. they're very powerful um, tools and teachers. So I think then the last one that you have is like the toxins, the environmental mm-hmm. toxins. Can you briefly talk on that? Yeah. So environmental toxins, there's so many of them out there. What, I'll talk about one area that I specifically focus on the most for hormonal health, and that's mm-hmm. plastics. So thinking about your BPA, your phthalates, your, you know, other types of BPA substitutes like BPF and all this other stuff that they're using, all this stuff works as endocrine disruptors. So a lot of them go into the body and they mimic estrogen, like your own endogenous estrogen, and they can cause this picture of estrogen dominance. There's studies showing how, you know, they've been associated with cancer or reproductive issues or neurological issues. So plastics are really harmful for our body, but a lot of companies use them, whether it's in our personal care products, like lotions or makeup or whatever it may be, even down to plastic water bottles or plastic Tupperware or even tea bags. A lot of tea bags have plastic in them and then you're using hot water and then that's just leaching into your tea and that's harmful. So loose leaf tea is the way to go or find a company that, you know, isn't using plastic in their tea bags. So all this stuff is really, really, really important for your overall health and well-being and You know, there's a lot of companies out there that are making the proper shifts. There's a lot of them that are doing greenwashing and they're saying they're clean and then they're using these plastic alternatives that end up being more harmful than the original BPA. So, you know, it's I feel like this is a whole environmental struggle that we're dealing with on a global level of how do we reduce our plastics resources, not just for the planet's health, but now we're starting to realize for our own personal health, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you did bring up the tea bag thing because that's something that people don't always understand. Um, so one, like you said, loose leaf tea is by far the best option. I mean, you're just going to not get the, the microplastics in your, in your teacup. And it's to note about the tea bags, tea bags pretty much come predominantly in paper. Um, mm-hmm. Now there's a difference in the papers because some are bleached and some are are unbleached, which again, kind of a separate topic, but then the, there's the plastic ones. And what I've found is the plastic tea bags are typically the bougier, the, the more expensive type teas. And it's, it's frustrating for me because it's like you have a good quality tea product. Why are you putting it in this trash bag? <laughs> like it's very frustrating because I see companies do it and I guess they look cleaner. They look nicer. I think that's what they're going for. But um, it's something that a lot of people have come to me and asked for help transitioning to loose leaf because they've seen this about microplastics and their teas. And so I, I love helping people um, find good, good tea companies that are actually taking the time to either just staying consistent and just being loose leaf or at least being conscientious to what kind of tea bags they're using. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's super important um, and definitely something people should be aware about. Uh, and so with the 
detoxification, is there any, any kind of herbs that help with like flushing a system that you work with? Yeah. So when we're looking at herbs that support our detox pathways, we really want to be looking at which herbs are supporting our liver, our gut, our kidneys. Um, those are kind of the big, the big three, because we got to think about the organs of elimination. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, skin is a big one when we're sweating, but there's not really herbs for that. <laughs> um, so yeah. Looking at the liver, you know, we have beautiful herbs like milk thistle. I love using that mm. one. Dandelion is another great one. Um, burdock can be a really helpful one too. The gut ones we talked about are kidney herbs. You know, again, that dandelion is wonderful. So anything that's really facilitating our natural waste, you know, production and getting that out of our system is going to be really impactful for just helping get these things out of the system. Um, and of course, you know, limit your exposure, which is difficult. I know some of these, it's unfortunate because a lot of the cleaner swaps when it comes to personal care products and, you know, household products can be more expensive, mm -hmm. but you know, when you think about, I, I'm hoping, you know, the more, I think there's more interest around them now. So now there's more brands doing it and they're more accessible and the price is lower too, to purchase some of these healthier alternatives. But, you know, you really have to think about it in terms of you're investing in your health now. So you don't have to, you know, suffer later on in life and getting a chronic disease is gnarly. You spend a lot of money down the road, it depletes your quality of life. So if you are someone who's in a position where you can really prioritize your health now, take that measure and do it because it's necessary for your future. Yeah, 100%. And quick note on the or quick question, I guess, about the uh, cleansing type herbs. Have you ever drank or worked with uh, puer tea? I haven't actually, no. Okay. That, that one it's I've I've heard and I've read a little bit on the gut health for it mm -hmm. and as well for me it cleanses me out I it's like yeah. a it's a bowel movement kind of one where it does it pushes things out uh, kind of like people say they do for coffee yes. um, so it's that's one where I was I was curious if you've ever worked with that but super fascinating because it's a fermented tea and not like kombucha yeah. it's but the actual tea leaves are fermented in like either boxes or clay pots for years. And then eventually they're packed into these um, cakes that people enjoy. So um, some interesting, uh, I, I've asked a few people about it. There's not much research on it, but mm. in like traditional Chinese medicine, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a gut health kind of cleansing type tea where it actually binds to, um, lipids in your in your bloodstream and everything, and people say that it flushes like any excess fat in your body and Amazing. some good stuff. Yeah, I'll yeah, look into it. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah highly recommend. Um, so last, I guess, last kind of quick, maybe lightning round questions about like herbs and just what what you like to work with. So you actually mentioned a little bit about the herbs for waking up like the rhodiola, mm -hmm. um, which first of all, note on that, it's a, it tastes like rose. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful herb. Um, it really is. Yeah. But do you have any other like caffeine free alternatives for energy? Yeah. You want ginseng is a great one for that. There's a variety of different ones. So look into that. Um, but the ginsengs are great for energy. Let me think what else is really, ooh, 
Nothing's nothing else is coming to mind. There's a lot more stimulating ones out there, but I just can't mm-hmm. think of them. Yeah. But I would say those are my top two for someone who needs energy. Yeah, and I thought if I'm not mistaken, I think rhodiola is part of the ginseng family. It is, yeah. I think it might be. I might be wrong with that though. Yeah. Um, and then on the contrary, any herbs for sleep. Mm, yeah, I love passion flower. Passion flower helps build up our own natural production of GABA. So it's a great herb to use if you're someone who's particularly stressed and anxious and can't fall asleep. It's really relaxing. Um, passion flower is a good one for that. And of course, looking into, you know, chamomile is always amazing for sleep. Those are probably my top two favorites. Awesome. Like and then too, but you know, there's a little bit of contraindication there for thyroid. So okay, something to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And then last one is just your favorite daily herbs that you use or work with. Yeah. I love that one. Passion flower. Of course, that Mm -hmm. is one of my favorites because I'm someone that leans more towards being stressed. And I use that a lot with my patients too. Ginger is another one that I love, especially when it comes to hormonal health. Studies have shown that you can use high doses of ginger as an alternative for NSAIDs when it comes to pain. So Mm -hmm. great choice for pain management. And then the third one, I'm going to give you my top three. Yeah. Um, my third one is Shisandra. We already talked about it, but yeah. I have it I have it on, you know, I have it loose leaf always around because I just love drinking a Shisandra tea. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Priya, this has been so much fun. Please let people know where they can find your work. And you just released a podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I, it's still in the works. I am right now in the interview phase, but I do have a podcast coming out in 2022 that just really revolves around talking to people about wellness and their wellness journey and how it looks different for every person. So I'm excited for it. And what's that called? It's called I Am Wealthy. And it's a little play on words. Instead of wealthy like financial, it's wealthy, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. So wellness, wealthy, yeah. I love it. And then, so where can people find uh, your work, like your website and everything? Yeah. My website is drpriya.com, doctor spelled out. And then you can find me on Instagram where I post tons of health content, Priya. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Priya. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you to Dr. Priya for that educational conversation. Remember to check out her work at drparia.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R. P-A-R-I-A.com and her brand new podcast, I Am Wealthy. That's I am W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. If you want to dive deeper into the health benefits of tea and herbs and learn from people like yourself, then join our free Fresh Steeps community now so you can drink the best tea for yourself today. All you have to do is click the Fresh Steeps community link in the show notes and follow the prompt. Thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate you, love you, and hope you have a great day. Peace out.